Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 47. One more Philip, one more chance. Philip V of Macedon was nine years old when his father, Demetrius II, died. He was still only seventeen when Antigonus Doson died. The first time he was too young to become king. The second time he most certainly wasn't. Philip V was a dashing, courageous soldier with the brains to go with it. Inevitably, he was compared with Alexander the Great. He was by no means Alexander, but he did his best, and probably did as well as anyone could have done, given the situation he inherited. Early in his reign he was very popular, and after uniting the Greeks became known as the darling of all Greece. Now, what normally happens when a young king takes over? Do his neighbours and enemies give him a few years to get used to the job? Do they stay quiet for a while so he can learn to rule well? Do they put any thoughts of fighting on hold? No, of course they don't. The Greeks of the Aetolian League looked over to Macedon and saw a young king without experience of ruling. They took their chance to cause some trouble. The Aetolians had slowly extended the influence of their league so that it controlled some of Boeotia, some of Thessaly as well as a portion of Epirus. They had also acquired a few cities in the Peloponnese and, most importantly, controlled the oracle of Delphi. This was a biggie. Control over the oracle put whoever had it in a very strong position. Not long after Philip came to the throne, the Aetolian League, led by Dorimachus, marched into the Peloponnese and began a new campaign. They threatened the city of Messenia, which called for aid. The citizens called upon Aratus and the Achaean League. Aratus marched in to defend the city and was comprehensively defeated at the Battle of Caffier. The Achaeans appealed to the new king of Macedon. Philip journeyed to Corinth and held a war council. At the same time, the new king of Sparta, Lycurgus, allied with the Aetolians. The conflict, known as the Social War, was pointless, destructive and simply resulted in everyone becoming weaker. Although they didn't know it, this was a time when the Greeks, Peloponnesian Greeks, Boeotian Greeks, Macedonian Greeks, all of them, needed to come together in order to save their independence. Eventually, Philip V heard that Hannibal had defeated the Romans and decided that he wanted some of that. He hastily concluded a peace treaty called the Peace of Norpactus. It wasn't a great peace treaty, as we will discover very soon, but it seemed that Greece was united. Little did everyone know that it would be another 2,000 years before Greece was united and independent again. It was clear to Philip V of Macedon and to any other Greek leader who had half a brain that the whole of Greece was in danger of being swallowed up by whichever of the great powers, Rome or Carthage, eventually came out on top. The trick here, decided Philip, was to try and work out who was going to win and become their ally. Then, just maybe, the Greeks might be spared when their ally finally won. Philip gambled. Hannibal had just defeated the Romans and looked like he might emerge victorious. Hannibal sent an envoy to Philip, promising to help him regain Greek territory seized by Rome if they struck an alliance. Philip gambled and allied with Hannibal and Carthage. He didn't know it at the time, but this gamble was a losing one. It started very badly. A ship carrying ambassadors from Macedon and Carthage was captured by the Romans, and the terms of the agreement were learned by the enemy. The Romans sent ships to watch over Philip, keeping an eye on what he was doing. Philip, wanting access to the Adriatic Sea, spent the next couple of years invading Illyria. The Roman and Macedonian forces met in a battle a couple of times, but there were no major conflicts. 
Philip succeeded in his aim and took enough territory to give himself a useful port on the Illyrian coast opposite Italy. The Romans took matters into their own hands. Remember the peace of Norpactus? Remember that we said it wasn't a great treaty? Yes, it seemed it wasn't worth the papyrus it was written on. The Romans came to the leaders of the Aetolian League and offered them a treaty which included additional territory if they won a war with Philip. The treaty was agreed. Again, it was Greek against Greek, but this time they were playing a much more dangerous game. One set of Greeks were in alliance with the Romans, and the other set were in league with the Carthaginians. Greece was in desperate trouble. It was just a shame the Greeks were too blind to see it. Philip V and the Macedonians were joined by their allies, the Achaeans. The Achaeans were no longer led by Aratus, though. He had had a few disagreements with Philip. Philip grew impatient with his old ally and had him poisoned. The Achaean forces were led by Philippemon. In 207 BC, Philippemon defeated the forces of Sparta and the Aetolian League at Mantinea. Meanwhile, the Romans were too busy with Carthage to get too involved in Greece. Philip, with the help of Philippemon, won some battles against the Aetolians before forcing them into a peace treaty. The next year, he concluded a peace treaty with the Romans, thus ending what has come to be known as the First Macedonian War. For a little time, Greece was safe. But not for long. It was Philip himself that sparked off the Second Macedonian War. While the Romans were busy with Carthage, Philip allied with Antiochus the Great of the Seleucid Empire against Ptolemy V of Egypt. This was a bit unfair on poor old Ptolemy, who was only six at the time. Philip took some territory in the Aegean from Egypt, which worried a couple of the smaller states. Pergamon in Asia Minor and Rhodes called on the Romans for aid. Having defeated the Carthaginians, the Romans were only too glad to help. Rome declared war on Philip V and Macedon. Philip, meanwhile, was still intent on controlling all of Greece, and he occupied a number of Greek cities. The Romans told him to stop. He took no notice. The Romans told him to stop again. He took no notice. The Romans told him to stop or else, and he still took no notice. The city of Athens joined with Rome. They had never much liked the Macedonians anyway, and the battle lines were drawn. Most of the other Greeks sat on the sidelines waiting to see what happened. What happened, for the first couple of years, was a whole load of not much. In 198 BC, though, the Romans changed their commander and appointed Titus Quinctius Flaminius. This man loved Greece and was determined to bring peace to the region. He ordered Philip not only to stop occupying any more Greek cities, but to withdraw from the ones he was already occupying. Philip, unsurprisingly, took no notice. Flaminius and his forces attacked Philip and forced him out of Achaea and into Thessaly. The Achaean League finally abandoned Philip and sided with the Romans. The Aetolian League also joined in on the Roman side. The decisive battle took place in Thessaly. Philip lined up with a total of about 25,000 troops, and Flaminius had about 10,000 more. On the morning of the battle, there was a thick fog over the hills and the fields separating the two camps. Philip marched his forces towards the Romans, but they got a bit confused and lost in the very heavy fog. The fog helped Philip too, though, as Flaminius couldn't tell where he was. Philip sent a small body of troops to take the Cynocephalae hills. Flaminius still had no idea where Philip was, so he sent a small group of cavalry to go and have a look around. They found Philip's army, and there was a little light fighting. The battle on the hills slowly grew and became more fierce, and Flaminius now realised what was going on. 
He sent 500 cavalry and 2,000 infantry, who drove Philip's men up the hill. Philip also sent more men in, and they drove the Romans back down the hill. Philip ordered a full attack when he heard the Romans were retreating. Philip V was successful at first. Unfortunately, part of his army hadn't formed for battle properly when Flaminius attacked. The Roman commander sent his elephants charging into them, and they were completely routed. After breaking through, one of the Roman tribunes attacked the Macedonian right wing from behind. The Macedonians were surrounded, beaten up and slaughtered. The survivors ran away. The defeat was a terrible one for Greece, although most of the Greek cities were too blind to realise it. It was obviously a terrible defeat for Philip. He was forced to retreat from all of the Greek cities and pay a thousand talents in war expenses to the Romans. His son was sent to Rome as a hostage and he was forced to disband his navy. Flaminius declared the Greek cities were now free, but they weren't really. The most obvious lesson of the Battle of Cynocephale was a military one. It was clear the Macedonian phalanx was no match for the Roman legion. The days of Greek independence were surely numbered. As usual, some of the Greeks were unhappy with the new arrangements. The members of the Aetolian League decided they were very unhappy and went to the Seleucid king Antiochus and asked for an alliance against the Romans. Antiochus agreed and raised a force against the invaders from the west. He crossed over into Thessaly. Now, this action just goes to show how much the influence and power of the Greeks in Greece itself had fallen away. The Seleucids and the Romans were fighting against each other and seeing Greece as a battleground. The Greeks, divided as ever, were too weak to have any influence on the outcome. There were huge military engagements taking place on Greek soil, but the Greeks themselves were a sideshow. It's ironic that the Roman forces eventually met up and battled with Antiochus at one of the most famous sites of Greek resistance, Thermopylae. The battle took place in 191 BC. The Roman commander, Marinus Glabrio, knew his history and remembered what had happened all those years ago when a tiny army of Spartans had held the mighty Persians. He also knew that the Persians used a mountain path to outflank the Greek troops on the pass. He tried the same thing, but the troops, looking for the path at night, got lost. Now, Glabrio was a good commander, and he had that special thing that good commanders need. He was lucky. Lucky old Glabrio's lucky troops completely, accidentally and luckily spotted the guard post that Antiochus had placed to guard the path. They managed to capture one of the Greeks there and found out where Antiochus's main force was. The Romans attacked this small guard post, routing them convincingly. The rest of the Roman army attacked Antiochus's larger force. Antiochus the Great suffered the indignity of having his teeth knocked out by a stone thrown from one of the Romans. He fled and his army tried to retreat. Unfortunately for them, they had to retreat over steep cliffs and deep marshes. There was slaughter on a grand scale, and Antiochus slunk back to Asia, followed by the Romans who took some territory. They forced Antiochus to hand over all the land west of the Taurus Mountains to themselves and to the kingdom of Pergamon. The Aetolian League, of course, had no chance against the Romans, and they sued for peace. The Aetolian League was crushed for ever. The Achaean League fared a little better than the Aetolian League for a while. Philippemon was a clever operator and knew how to play the game. He managed the relationship between the Romans and the Achaean League very well. They were protected by the Romans and even allowed to add a bit more territory. The independent-minded Sparta was forced to join as the Achaean League took control of all of the Peloponnese. 
Sparta, as we know, was not a city to take invasion lying down. The Spartans rebelled in 188 BC and forced Philippemon to march against it. He captured the city and put to death 80 of its leading men. The Romans watched with satisfaction, ever aware that Greek versus Greek just made their lives easier. The Greeks would be even weaker when the time came for the Roman forces finally to take over. Philip V, meanwhile, concentrated on ruling and strengthening Macedon. He realised he was not going to have a huge victory against the Romans, and he stopped trying. In 190 BC, he allowed Roman forces to cross his land. In return, they agreed he could stop paying them for their war expenses and released his hostage son, Demetrius. Soon, though, Philip V became increasingly convinced that his neighbouring states, like Pergamon and Rhodes, were constantly telling the Romans he was conspiring against them. He was sure the Romans intended to destroy him and his kingdom, and he became determined to do something about it. He moved into other parts of the Balkans, trying to extend his influence ready for an eventual battle with the Romans. By 181 BC, he'd taken quite a bit of territory. Back in the Peloponnese, Philippemon had to deal with yet another issue. In 183, the city of Messenia rose up in rebellion against the Achaean League. Their leader, Dinocrates, declared his city to be free and no longer under, under the control of the League. Philippemon raised an army and scorched over to the city, ready to punish it for its revolt. The Achaean leader was 70 years old by now, though, and not quite so steady on his horse. He fell off the beast during a cavalry skirmish and was captured. The Messenians took him back to the city and put him on trial. The trial was not a fair one, and Philippemon was condemned to death. He was allowed to drink poison, as this was felt to be more honourable than execution. The historian Pausanias saw Philippemon as the last of the great Greeks. He wrote, After the death of Philippemon, Greece ceased to create good men. Up in Macedon, Philip V had other things to contend with. His heir was his eldest son Perseus, but his younger son Demetrius wanted the throne for himself. Demetrius had been sent as a hostage to Rome, and he used his influence with the Romans to get them to support his claim for the kingship. Perseus was jealous of Demetrius. He was jealous of his influence with the Romans, and he thought he could see his father being swayed by Demetrius's claim to the throne. He went to see his father, and convinced him that Demetrius was a traitor and must be eliminated. Reluctantly, Philip V agreed, and Demetrius was poisoned. The Romans saw their friend had been killed by his brother's plots. This did not make them think too highly of Perseus, something which would come back to haunt the heir to the throne when his turn came. In 179, Philip was busy preparing, as usual, for war with the Romans. He was aiding a tribe called the Bastane against another called the Dardanians when he fell over and died. He had been on the throne of Macedon for 32 years and had kept his kingdom independent throughout very difficult times. He was succeeded by his son Perseus, the last king of the Antigonid dynasty and the last king of independent Macedonia. Next time, we will hear about the last king of independent Macedon. Before I go, a quick reminder of a couple of things. First, please send in your questions for the question and answer session which will make up the 50th episode, and please send in your answers to the question who is your favourite character in the Trojan War story, and why? Also, there won't be an episode next week, as I am on a business trip in Hong Kong, so the next episode will be in two weeks' time. So, until then, have a great two weeks, and I'll speak to you then. <laughs>